The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to a Wednesday night edition of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast. I want to bring in Kevin Pelton from ESPN Insider as a follow-up to the podcast that we did probably about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, actually, in the summer of 2015, about the greatest teams in NBA history. You wrote on this, you've written on this extensively over the course of the year, the question of where do the Warriors fall, the 16-17 Warriors team, in that pantheon? Yeah, I think probably in that podcast we also discussed has got brought up on Twitter yesterday, something that you and Danny had mentioned after the 2015 title, how that was probably the best team you would ever cover. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, how naive it seems in hindsight. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we thought there'd be regression to the mean, right? We thought Steph Curry would never be the, this good the next year, right? Clay Thompson, Draymond Green had taken these leaps or like, oh, they're going to regress a, a little bit. Like someone's going to get injured. They had such great health. And uh, yeah, no. So the, you know, the 2016 Warriors, I mean, they did end up rating much lower because of the fact that they were so ineffective in the playoffs. But then you add Kevin Durant to the mix and it turns out that is without question an all-time team. So I came up with these rankings of best teams ever after that 2015 title to kind of see where the Warriors ranked in context and looked at two primary factors, your team's point differential during the regular season, and then your point differential in the playoffs adjusted for your opposition, uh, what they did during the regular season. So it's the same thing where you're comparing them to an average team. And then there, there are other factors. If you didn't win a championship, there's a penalty for that because otherwise you would come up with a team like you know the, the 2010 Magic that had two dominant rounds in the playoffs and then lost in the conference finals they would come out as one of the best teams of all time which you know it doesn't make sense logically if they didn't even win the championship last year and then there's also an adjustment for the league quality of play but basically it's those two factors so uh this year's warriors i guess we should just get into where they they rank in those terms yeah i I think so i it was uh i mean it seems like reading your article it's basically down between them and uh the 96 bulls yeah i mean i think those are the two realistic contenders the 96 Bulls were, you know, easily the number one win uh, when I first did this exercise two years ago. So Chicago has the edge in the regular season. Obviously, seventy-two and ten uh, had a they had they actually had the third best point differential of all time. The the seventy-one Bucks and the seventy-two Lakers in back-to-back years were a little bit ahead of them in terms of point differential. This year's Warriors, even though they won fewer games than the seventy-three win team that set the record.
record had a better point differential. So they were sixth all yeah. time. There. By the way, that is something that uh, I did predict at the start of the season that they would have yeah, a better you, point you differential than last year. But uh, one of the few things that, <laughs> that, that I've been nailing recently. But yes, yeah, so I, I did have to, because that's the case, I had to remind our listeners of that. All right. So then the playoff aspect is interesting because if you do it the method that I just outlined, the Warriors come out as the number two playoff team in history behind the 2001 Lakers that went 15 and one. Um, and they're substantially ahead of the 96 Bulls who, you know, had their 10.8 differential in the playoffs was you know relatively mid- middling for an all-time great team and not enough to prevent them from being the greatest of all time before this year. But based on that, if you look at it strictly by the formula I put together, the Warriors do in fact come out as the greatest team in NBA history. Yeah. And uh, now, of course, also you can't necessarily, as, as you didn't, just look at the regular season point differentials of the teams that they played in the playoffs because the, the Warriors did benefit from some injuries. Exactly. And then most notably with Kawhi Leonard and the San Antonio Spurs, who were, you know, without him, a, a shell of the 60 plus win team that, you know, the Warriors are evaluated as having faced. And, you know, uh, that particularly when you're looking at, you know, that point differential compared to an average team, well, you know, they beat them by 30 plus in game two. They're not probably doing that with Kawhi Leonard in the lineup. So right. what I did to adjust for that was uh, in the past, I've used RPM for this ESPN's real plus minus, but because that doesn't go all the way back to 96 i wanted to look at uh, box plus minus on basketballreference.com which attempts to use box score stats to kind of ba- values them based on how well they predict a uh, player's adjusted plus minus so i did that and then the minutes played for each team in the actual series against the 96 bulls and the 2017 warriors and when you do that exercise, it becomes abundantly clear that Chicago faced a much more difficult schedule. In fact, you know, twice as difficult relative to league average, 6.7 points per game, better than league average as compared to 3.2 for this year's Warriors. And when you make that adjustment, then all of a sudden the Warriors actually, the Bulls actually jump ahead of the Warriors and reclaim their spot as the greatest team of all time. So I think we can definitely debate this a lot more. More. But where I wanted to start first is, is there any other team outside of those two that is competitive that's in this discussion for you? I mean, I think at peak, you could probably talk about the 87 Celtics being in there. 86 were, Celtics, you mean? I'm sorry. Yes. The uh, the 86 Celtics being in there because, you know, they're the uh, the number three team in NBA history by this measure with the uh, the 87 Lakers being the right behind them. And we know that the Celtics had probably a greater propensity for coasting, I think, than either of these two teams, even at times in the playoffs. So if you're going by best peak, I think you can make a case for them and then maybe for the two. 2001 Lakers who do by virtue uh even though the Warriors had a slightly better record because they played one more game in the first round they still rate as having the best postseason in NBA history so you can make an interesting case for them again that that concept that they coasted through the regular season had Shaq's injury etc and that when they were actually at their best they were better than anyone else yeah I think it's the argument for this Warriors team as number one I think there are a couple of them one is just that simply basketball gets better over time and that you know I I know that your statistical method says that in 96 the 
the quality of the league was about the same as now i i have to say that just my subjective opinion i don't necessarily agree with that there just been yeah go ahead let me jump in here so i've used two different methods there's one that kind of factors in the effect of player aging as you make this adjustment year to year and that kind of tends to mirror kind of the ups and downs of the league in terms of you know when it adds teams and and things like that and is relatively constant over time actually you know some of the most difficult leagues were when there were only eight teams before you know the rapid expansion in the late 60s but there's also the other method i use that i use in the 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 player metric championships added that i have that does reflect constant growth over time where 2017 you know was a far more difficult uh the level of play was far higher than 96 i mean i think that reflects what you're backing up i just found that that's less interesting to use with the best teams because then you come out with it's just a ranking of the good teams from recent years and i don't think that's really how people think about that question it's how good we were relative to the league and then how good the league was you know relative to the constant baseline as opposed to the constant growth yeah but and my argument would be just subjectively that that time in the mid to late 90s was a nadir for the league because if you just look at for example and i've made this argument before but that was two years ago so (laughs) bear with me that at that point you know all the best players in the league basically were like 30 or older right and there not really been any other times that i can recall in in nba history that that's been the case and that's because the drafts from 88 to 91 historically were really bad then you throw in the fact that there was expansion of six teams in the preceding 10 years including two vancouver and uh, toronto in that 95 96 season and i think it's it seems pretty clear to me you know you just don't see times where i mean akeem elijuan and michael jordan and even pippen was getting a little older by that point carl malone john stockton charles barkley patrick ewing like those were some of the best players in the league at that point and they were all a, a lot older and they also just had a lot of teams winning 60 games that year too which i think also might say that it was easier to really compile a nice statistical record in the regular season uh but the argument in favor of the bulls is as you mentioned i think relatively they placed they played harder playoff opposition including a magic team that had beaten them the previous year they swept them although horace grant basically didn't play in that series uh for the magic and then that sonics team uh, i hilariously on the twitter nba show said that the sonics and jazz of 96 and 97 uh had the most wins ever by a finals losers forgetting about the 73 win warriors right. last year but but still those are some really great teams uh to lose in the finals uh on the other hand i would say that although the warriors didn't really face much opposition coming into the nba finals and, and this is something we'll get to too maybe if you have time is just the Cavs' performance and where that ranks among finals losers but i thought that this Cavs team that they played to me was better than any team that the bulls had to face that year yeah it's an interesting question and i i think one you know argument you can have about the method i used to evaluate the playoff opposition adjusting for injuries is did that give adequate credit to the Cavs? because you know they do benefit from the fact that lebron james's minutes were increased relative to the regular season and you know the the, the that you know their their rating was much better than their actual point differential was during the regular season but i still don't think it probably was adequate to reflect how good they were when they really locked in yeah i think that i mean if lebron is playing 45 minutes a game i mean what were they they probably had what like an eight or nine net rating or something this season when lebron was on the floor i I would guess that's just off the top of my head but something like that and then uh throw in the fact that they're actually trying defensively and uh you know Kyrie irving had some great performances etc um i think the other argument to me in favor of golden state and i and i agree with you i think that it's it's this golden state 
team and uh, that Bulls team, especially because like I'm not going to say that uh, you know you can't give that Bulls team credit for what they did relative to the league, but I do tend to skew a little bit more towards modern teams. Just I think basketball has gotten so much better, and I think this Warriors team. I just just looking at the talent on paper, I don't think you can say that we've ever had a team that had this much talent on paper before, at least yeah, in the modern agree. era. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, you know, you look at the the depth of the fourth option. I guess the fourth best player on the Chicago team is probably Tony Kukoc, right? Yeah, yeah, you'd probably say that. Yeah, I mean, comparing him to Clay Thompson, Kukoc, a very nice player, an excellent six man, but he's not Clay Thompson. No, and also just to, when you think about the depth, the second and third best players, I mean, I think if you're going to say Steph Curry was the second best player on this Golden State team, well, he averaged like 28 a game in the playoffs on like 62% true shooting. And that doesn't even begin to capture what he does with his spacing as well. And, and I mean, Danny always likes to talk about feedback loops. Well, the fact that you've got maybe three of the 10 best shooters ever, uh, and also like great offensive players when they had the ball in their hands in Clay, uh, who obviously had a disappointing playoffs, but... Uh, uh, still helped a lot with his spacing Durant and Steph Curry the idea that you have three guys that you just can't leave under any circumstances is pretty ridiculous and so if you're gonna say Steph Curry was the second best player on this team I need definitely I think in these playoffs put up the best ever playoffs by a second best player on a team wait wait can we have a digression here because this this conversation never really happened after the finals but if you if you were doing it like the NHL does with the Conn Smythe award where they you award the entire postseason and not just the finals MVP Steph should should have been the playoff MVP right if it's not LeBron I guess yeah yeah I mean I think LeBron was maybe a little bit better uh, than him but yeah I mean the fact that KD missed that time and Steph was really really good uh, as well I think but yeah KD was definitely better than him in the finals just due to his defensive uh, and effort and also you know the big shots that he made in game three but no I think I think that's right I mean Steph Curry the way he's playing right now you know I think he clearly clearly reestablished himself as either the second or third best player in the NBA uh, during this playoff run. And he's playing at a level this year that I think most years would probably make him the best player in the league. So, and just, to, and the way KD played as well. I mean, this is just the fact that LeBron was so unbelievable in these playoffs, as well as the end of last year's finals, it shouldn't obscure how good Curry and Durant have been. Yeah. And I mean, that's again, to go back a big part of the case for the war. Um, and I guess the, another part of the case too is if you combine regular season and postseason performance, they went sixteen and one, got a three zero lead against the Cavs. I think that they part of their argument is well, if you take our worst performance out of regular season and postseason, we've got the highest of those worst performance because you could say probably their worst performance was the regular season when they went won sixty seven games despite missing Durant for two months and had this amazing point differential. Well, you think even so? Do you think the playoffs were the weaker of the '96 Bulls' performance? Yeah, I would probably say that. Yeah, I mean, I think that to me is a case where both of these teams separate from the rest of the pack. Right. You know, some of the other teams you're looking at, you've got a strong case either regular season or playoffs, but not both. But you know, Chicago. I I still think I'd probably take Chicago's playoffs over Golden State's regular season. Yeah, I think that uh, it's very close between those. I think in the statistical resume, and maybe just the fact that the Bulls won 72 and, and that that was the record at the time, and they also had the greatest player of all time on their team too maybe you could say that that's something that matters but i think just in terms of objectively i think they're close enough that we can turn to some subjective things yeah. and also the fact that the warriors are 20 years later and just the, the fact that i look at them and i say hey this team just has more talent 
than that Bulls team did even you know Andre Iguodala like who's Iguodala probably is uh, better than Kukoc was uh, that year you know I mean the, the Bulls didn't really have anybody coming off the bench with the stature of even like a, a David West you know or even maybe Sean Livingston like those are probably better than any uh bench players on the Bulls other than uh, Tony Kukoc unless I'm forgetting someone which I don't think I am uh so and the Bulls also benefited from having the shorter three-point line that year as well which you know allowed Michael Jordan to shoot like 40 percent on threes which was not something that he did with the longer three-point line um it, it was uh so I I personally would probably give it to these Warriors um but you know where would you ultimately fall on that just with your own subjective ranking would you still give it to the 96 Bulls no I would I would say the 2017 Warriors for pretty much the same reasons that you've laid out so yeah wow okay well so then the other question I wanted to ask you real quickly here is where does Cleveland's finals rank among you know given the fact that we have sort of established that this Warriors team is either the best or second best of all time by pretty much any objective analysis where did the, does this Cavs team rank on the list of finals losers despite the fact that they lost in five and you wouldn't ordinarily put them a, on that category so just in the and, finals or overall yeah no yeah that, that's a good point yeah I, I should have I said just in terms of their performance in the finals exclusively okay. is how yeah, I would I, say as opposed to just you know how good of a team were they overall because their regular season obviously was terrible so I let's let's identify maybe some candidates for this I would say the 96 Sonics taking two games off that Bulls team even with Ron Harper out of the lineup that probably merits consideration here uh the 2013 spurs seem like strong contenders here yeah um there about, aren't really that many great finals performances uh by finals losers six, like 69 I, I was, lakers <laughs> no i mean i think that boston team was fourth in the eastern division that right year, yeah so. it's so it sort of similar to the 98 you know the 98 jazz you know they they did take you know nearly take utah to a or nearly dig chicago to a game seven but that chicago yeah. team was on its last legs that, well, well and they also lost a game 96 to 54 oh, right that in is that true. series <laughs> uh i mean and that's like so people were saying like you know 93 suns like yeah you lost the first two games at home so it's difficult for me to, to say that and that 90 three Bulls team only won 57 games obviously played better in the playoffs uh yeah 13 Spurs got be on there I think uh 05 Pistons is actually oh, yeah, an underrated uh finals performance um I would also say the 84 Lakers lost in seven to the Celtics that year and the 88 Pistons is another one oh, that I yeah. would look at yeah, as well led three games to two uh and then really in both games six and seven almost won the championship both games in the forum uh and you could make the argument that had Isaiah Thomas not sprained his ankle in game six I know that he had finished out that 25 point performance but definitely like I did a, a podcast on that game with Dan Felbin a couple of months ago and Isaiah definitely wasn't himself in the fourth quarter of that game and then in game seven basically like you know was a total shell out there because of that sprained ankle so I think you'd have to put them in that category 96 Sonics I'm not sure about because they were just so non-competitive I felt in well I mean I wouldn't say non-competitive in the first few games in Chicago but then when it came yeah, down game, to game two was reasonably close yeah yeah, but like that getting blown out in that game three, uh, and then they they clearly if it hadn't if it had been hadn't been two three two they probably would have just lost game five in Chicago. Right. So I don't know that I could quite put them in that category. I mean, you never felt like I mean maybe we are losing it here too with this Cavs team because just because the three one comeback happened last year that like when they won that one came like oh this is actually really competitive when maybe we overstated that a little bit because they just couldn't stop the Warriors, but nonetheless. 
nonetheless, just and just seeing like to me this Cavs team, how well LeBron. I mean, they, they had you know maybe the second best player of all time, who was the best player in the series and averaged a triple double and thirty three points a game in the series, and like they were scoring against this all time great defense really well, except for Game One. Like those are some of the factors that I was including and in saying, hey, they should be in there. Whereas you know I wouldn't quite put the ninety six Sonics in that category personally, but you know I, I'm I'm hopelessly biased on uh, on the subject and you're you're neutral so uh you know maybe exactly. we should just go with your opinion yes i am i have no no uh, investment at all in the, that 96 team to which i had season tickets uh, i think i would say i would argue that the series were broadly similar to the extent that you know in the same way that the cavaliers really took two games to adjust to yeah. the warriors and kind of figure out how to match up with them in the Sonics case, it took three games, but after game three is when, you know, Gary Payton started defending Michael Jordan. And I think that substantially changed the series. Yeah. I mean, and the game fours were very similar in that the Bulls came out thinking it was going to be kind of a cakewalk and Seattle beat them by like 20 in that game. It, it, precisely 21, right same the as the, precisely 21, uh, same as this year's Cavs. Um, but I mean, I, you know, the 2013 Spurs to me would probably top this list. Uh, number one, because, and you can also just look at the fact that they were so good again the, the next year uh but also right. and the the pistons maybe you could look at that also but uh they just had, had so much talent they should have won the series they were very close and that miami team was obviously you know a 66 win juggernaut themselves um so i would say maybe i'd put them you know solidly in the category with some of those other teams i mentioned behind the 2013 spurs and maybe the 88 pistons because again that lakers team was a really really good team uh as well yeah and you know to to use this measure of the teams who lost in who did not win the championship the 2013 spurs were rated by this method to have the best postseason obviously aided by the fact that they only had the one game penalty for uh the one game they came short of the championship yeah and that 2013 spurs team also for the first three rounds of the playoffs had a very very easy path because that was the year that russell westbrook uh got injured the, the that spurs team wasn't even the number one seed as i recall uh and then they got yep. to face memphis who was the i can't remember the whether they're the four or five seed that year probably the four seed and in and swept them in the conference finals but yeah they they were definitely and they you know they blew out miami multiple times and and even in game six and seven uh fought extremely valiantly had a three two lead in the series although that was in the old two three two format do you like two three two better you like uh two outside of the fact that you know as a journalist you might have to travel more under the uh the ladder yeah i mean the last couple years i've just done the games in the bay area so it it hasn't been a problem for me in that regard but uh I, I think I like the fact that it's consistent with the other rounds. I it definitely the the downside of it that you know the NBA might not have anticipated is it definitely seems to have shortened series. You know there was always the stereotype of oh it's hard to win three games in a row at home, so you know this is bad for the the lower seated team. But it made it much more likely that you would get it to a game six. Yeah, maybe I think it's probably more likely that you get to a game six under two through two. Like this year, you would. Say it, it certainly that would be the case, but I think you're more likely to get to a game seven under the two two one 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 format. Right, maybe. You could make that yeah. argument. Yeah, and you have the case where had the had the Cavs managed to pull out that game five in in Golden State, they get to come home, and all of a sudden, you know, the the series 
suddenly feels materially different than it does, you know, when you're down 3-1 going on the road. All right. Well, anything uh, else you wanted to add on these topics? Uh, I said 20 minutes. It's been about that. So uh, I can let you go here. But I I appreciate you're always uh, great to have on for the historical perspective. Well, and I owe you for lunch the other day. But uh, are are we sewing the 2016 Warriors finals performance short here? If we think that this year's Cavs were that good in in this year's finals, playing last year's Cavs to seven games and within in, you know, a, a tie game in game seven. Are we selling them short a little? Yeah, and they did lead it three to one uh, as well. I thought about them. I don't think so because number one, they were just such a shell by the end of that series with Bogut being out, Iguodala's back, being locked up, Curry not really being healthy. Clay Thompson just didn't play well in the last two games. Uh, he was great in that game, first half in game five, which people always forget, but he couldn't keep it going. Uh, Draymond Green getting suspended. That's got to be be part of it too of just like a really dumb play to make i mean they're a team when you played so far below what your capabilities are and, and that Cavs team i think is actually i thought the Cavs are way better this year than they were last year to be honest yeah that was a conversation we had on the basketball analogy podcast yes or on tuesday that uh, i also took that position um i mean they, they remember the Cavs got nothing from kevin love last year lebron didn't have nearly as good of a series last year at least offensively as he did this year and even irving you know had about the same quality of games overall but it was they didn't have Kyle Korver who and eh, you can argue about how much he helped them this year but he would have helped a lot more last year when the Warriors didn't have as many threats and he could have hidden on like a Harrison Barnes or something that's a good point um so yeah I, I think especially because they it was just such a disappointment and it's just they didn't play well relative to their capabilities and because they were so injured I mean I think last year's Warriors were significantly below even the level of their own 2015 team by the time it was all said and done yeah yeah I think that's true uh, all right thanks for coming on stay tuned Danny is going to come on shortly here and we'll discuss the Golden State Warriors offseason before we move on to that Warriors offseason preview, though, a word from Betterment. It's never too late to save for retirement or other financial goals, or too early. For that matter, I know a lot of our listeners are in college, just leaving college. Maybe you're getting to the point where you're getting married. You want to save up for your first house. And Betterment can help you do that. They're the largest independent automated investing service out there. They're built on smarter, cutting-edge technology to bring you sophisticated investing and financial advice, all at a lower cost than more traditional financial services. They have a couple of really cool tools. Tax impact preview. A lot of investing is kind of opaque and for certain companies, it's not in their best interest to tell you what your tax bill could be because they make money off of you making transactions. So they don't want to let you know that if you make a transaction, you may have to pay a lot of taxes because then they don't make their money. But Betterment has a flat pricing plan First off, you can get up to six months of no fees by going to the link betterment.com slash cap space. But afterwards, you just pay a flat annual fee rather than per transaction. Their digital plan, 0.25% with no minimum balance. Or you can go up to their premium plan, which is 0.5%, and you get unlimited calls with their team of licensed financial experts. Once again, the way to get started with them, betterment.com slash capspace is that URL. Easy to remember capspace. We talk about it all the time on the program. That's betterment.com slash capspace, betterment investing made better. All right, Danny. So was it really tough having to cram for this Warriors offseason? I know today is the first time you've thought about it. Yeah, it's, it's not like I've spent the last year preparing for it or anything. And so the Warriors situation, I find somewhat interesting because it's actually pretty straightforward as opposed to last year where there were a lot of moving 
parts and you you were kind of like, how can they achieve this goal if they were going to try to get Kevin Durant? And really the pivot point is not Stephen Curry because Stephen Curry has the, he has a lower cap hold and then he's going to be eligible for the designated veteran contract. So his, what he does doesn't affect anybody else, but what Kevin Durant chooses does affect other players. Yeah. KD has a player option for this year of a little over $27 million that he almost certainly will opt out of because the his maximum now is 35.4 million estimated it's basically going to be 35 percent of whatever the salary cap is and that's estimated at 101 million dollars right now However, he could allow Golden State to stay over the cap, thus retaining the cap holds and bird rights of Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston. If he were to take 120% of what he made last year, the non-bird exception, that would put him at about $31.85 million. And that's a fixed number, not dependent on the cap. So essentially to do that, he would have to take a haircut of about $3.8 million this season. And because if they want to pay him more than that 120 percent which is the most they could pay him by staying over the cap they'd have to clear cap space which they could do due to curry's very small cap hold of only 18 million but uh, they could get up to basically 39 million in space but then they would only have four million left once they paid kd and that wouldn't be enough for iguodala or, or and it's definitely not iguodala and livingston they would just be working with their uh, full mid-level exception there uh and actually probably still only be able to pay the taxpayer mid-level because they would still have to pay so much for over Curry's cap hold so I mean they're almost certainly going to be a tax team but of course the reporting from ESPN has indicated and Iguodala and Durant's comments have danced around this but have hinted in the direction that Katie will in fact take uh that 31.8 million dollars right so that is probably the right way to think about it at this point the only other thing I want to mention just to make it clear is that if Durant chooses to get his maximum the Warriors would have two separate pockets of about five million dollars the taxpayer mid-level and the room exception and that is in some ways even more damaging for them because if it, they can't combine those in any way so they would basically be pitching different players on that some money and they couldn't combine it yeah that's right you're right sorry i, I didn't see the tax pyramid level wouldn't help them because they would be with the room exception because they went under the right. cap man I'm a little rusty here we gotta gotta get in shape for uh <laughs> the off season um but that's right i mean i've never corrected you on anything before so never I, i'm a little upset Not- right now uh <laughs> so i will make the assumption that he's gonna do that steph curry eligible for the designated player veteran extension he normally would only have been eligible for a contract starting at 30% of the cap because he has only eight years experience but because he won MVP twice in a row he has met the criteria for a designated veteran contract or extension in this case contract because he will become a free agent that would pay him 35% of the salary cap to start and that would enable him to get a five-year 205 million dollar contract that would be paying him 46.7 million in the fifth year when he would be 33 but and that actually could get to the point where it wouldn't be the greatest contract by the end but yeah you know you have the greatest team of all time probably should just pay whatever it takes to keep it together now and the whatever it takes is the functional part of this because it's not so much about Curry or even Draymond, Durant, and Clay Thompson. It's how much do Lakeup and Peter Gruber, the owners of the team, want to pay everyone else. And it is true that they will not be constrained if Durant takes that $3.5 million haircut. They're not going to be constrained by the rules of the salary cap with those guys. But they are going to be pushing not only the luxury tax in the immediate, but presumably the repeater tax in a couple of years' time. Yeah, the repeater taxes, we we explained how that works yesterday with 
with Cleveland. Each each tax bracket basically gets uh, a dollar added to it. The first year they'd be paying the repeater tax would be because they actually this is their first year in the taxes this year, right? Because they were not in the tax last year. They were or am in, I in they were in in fifteen. So the it's incidentally no, say so they were they paid the tax in twenty sixteen, I believe, but they did not pay it in fifteen or seventeen. That's some that's what my notes have. Ah, yes, okay, so. Their first year in the tax then would be... 1819, because it's three uh, out of four years. Yeah, in the repeater tax. Okay. Correct. So, and that could cost a lot. Then again, they have this new stadium. They need to sell these suites, uh, although a lot of those uh, those suites are 10-year deals. And so they're all probably going to be sold by the time the... And their season ticket waiting list is 30,000 shrunk. So a lot of the selling that needs to be done for that new stadium will already be complete by the time any hard decisions need to get made here and they just won the championship this year so you have to imagine that that's gonna they're not gonna have any trouble selling out all the suites right now even though they're not gonna open this the stadium for a couple of years and that'll be a little bit of a bill of goods for for those people who are paying prices for the greatest team of all time and for most of those 10 years of course they're not gonna, gonna be that they'll whether they'll still they might still be winning a championship or two i think once they move into that stadium for the 1920 season but they're, they're not going to be the same powerhouse unless you know patrick mccall becomes a super star someone we don't yet see becomes a superstar but anyway i've digressed there but the interesting negotiations now will come with andre guadal because he they can pay him whatever they want to it's just money out of the lake ups pockets however they're going to want to keep the price down because they want to avoid paying luxury tax it is still a business but then again kevin durant is already taking less to allow them to keep iguodala's cap hold on the books and pay him what he wants so iguodala in some ways has them over a barrel and he'll further have them over a barrel because he is going to get offers you would imagine of 20 million a year or more don't know how many years that would be for but i mean given the lack of players who can play some modicum of offense and defense on the wing which he still could even at age 33 you have to imagine at least 20 million a year you know if he doesn't have offers for 60 million at least in guaranteed money i would be very surprised by that on the open market but golden state is going to want to pay him less than that for sure they certainly will and because he's probably he's not gonna be that effective for more than i think two more years at the most that's probably a fair timeline and he has already expressed pretty openly and most notably in a conversation with tim kawakami that he is kind of that he is understanding of the desire that to to for the warriors for him to take a little bit less and we'll see if that actually happens and the other part with the Warriors is to see what the timing of all this is you know like Curry I I'm expecting that he will announce like on July 1st but the other ones you know maybe that maybe Durant will be quick but then with Livingston and with Iguodala they might want to gain a little bit of leverage by seeing what's not seeing what's out there on the open market in terms of leaving but in terms of just getting those offers to provide a value to the Warriors to say hey this is this is what I'm getting offered out there see how close you can get or something of that nature and Andre it's been funny because it seems like he he is a smart guy and a cynic and a businessman and so whenever he kind of goes too far in the direction of like oh you know i really want to say he's like oh but i got this big negotiation coming up with bob myers so it's i don't know if he wants to give up leverage maybe they already kind of have a wink wink deal but it's just it's gonna be a question of the years i I think more so than you know two years even up to like 20 or 25 million i would probably pay that for andre it's just a question of if you're gonna be paying him a ton of money when he's not good anymore especially when after two in two years time that summer of 2019 that's when clay thompson will need a new contract as well and then if you're still paying andre that big money at that point now you're really 
going to be paying the piper and you're in the repeater tax at that point too so i think my approach for the warriors would be try to uh, if he does get these other offers try to pay him more over the next couple of years maybe you could give him some kind of a non-guarantee you know of like five million five million guaranteed in the third year and then you know if he just doesn't have any more you could move him and stretch him or something like that or um but yeah i'm trying to keep it down to two years and pay more early on especially because their tax bill is only going to get worse as time goes on because the cap is going to be pretty flat here that's i'm happy you brought that up because that's the other part of this is a lot of their players are going to be getting raises patrick mccall at some point will probably be getting a raise too and yeah, the cap is going next to be season a restricted yeah. free agent and the cap is going to be staying solid so these these things will escalate and so the number that i've had in my head for a little while is 45 to 50 million in guaranteed money and at that sort of a number it can push into three or maybe even four years just because it's so much less but i agree with you that the right logic is probably going to be having that last year which might be the third might be the fourth be partially guaranteed or lightly guaranteed and then have that money be you know either maybe it's a golden parachute maybe it's not maybe you decide that he's worth it something in that realm i think makes the most sense for both sides and i could i could see that being the structure also that they agree to sometimes we think of these creative things and it just doesn't end up happening sometimes in the case of will dang it happens because the team just overvalues him and pays him way too much money but with durant and maybe with livingston i think that could very well be possible yeah what about livingston he is more expendable i would say than andre guadala and he really at this point now that Durant is on the team especially is playing really more just as a as a regular wing and a backup wing and you know playing 10 or 15 minutes a game and you'd think that McCaw maybe could subsume his role a little bit I think Livingston is pretty skinny so he's not quite as skinny as McCaw he's at least has gotten stronger over the years but he's not the type of guy you look at as like oh he's another option on some of the bigger wings like Kawhi or, or LeBron James but he's still a solid player and he presumably would want to return they have the ability to pay him and i think his market won't be as robust just due to the fact that i think he can't play as many minutes uh and can't shoot threes so there while the backup point guard market does kind of suck and you know i could see him getting like a two-year 20 million dollar offer but i i wouldn't expect him to have offers of much more than that the 20 million in guaranteed money maybe 30 i think the warriors would be trying to get him back you know six or seven million maybe you pull the trigger at that point that's probably about the number and what makes Livingston more complicated is that you're right in the standard alignment he doesn't he's not Curry's backup because he plays with Curry and then they use the Ian Clark or other guys because they don't need Livingston's skill set with those with the way they've done those configurations however Livingston has this value that's hard to quantify because he is Stephen Curry's backup if Curry gets hurt and so if you lose Livingston you have to replace him with something very different and that gets complicated so I think that kind of lends itself to making that agreement because it's exceedingly unlikely that the Warriors would be able to use their taxpayer mid-level exception on a backup point guard because they're going to need that to replace their centers because all three of their main centers are free agents. Yeah, and it might be nice to have a point guard who could run a little more pick and roll than Livingston. But again, you've got Iguodala, who's going to presumably be coming back, Durant. Like those guys can do enough of the ball handling duties that you don't think you'd. it's a major, major deed for them. You mentioned the centers now. Zaza Pachulia, they have one of two options with him he's the same deal as Durant they can pay him 120 percent of what he made last year which would be 3.5 million or they would have to break into that taxpayer mid-level uh and pay up to 5.2 million to start this year and then JaVale McGee and David West both made the minimum next year so or last year so if they're going to pay either of those guys more than the minimum they again would have to break into that taxpayer mid-level or 
just pay him you know 120 percent of the minimum essentially so a lot of it really depends on what zaza and west want if they're willing to just come back for similar salaries as last year yeah sign them back up and bring them back those are value deals it might be and they still remember they got damian jones too i would expect that javel uh would be more likely to go somewhere else i think they want to give jones a chance to play they've been pleased with his work ethic and uh his progress in santa cruz i didn't get a chance to watch a ton of him yet i'll be interested to see how he looks in summer league but he definitely looked a lot better than he looked at the start of the season uh just seeing even a a little bit of him um and and so i think he can maybe even provide more than javel will never be as good of a finisher as javel is because he's just unbelievable at that uh but could provide some of the same on offense with his ability to get above the rim and then could be maybe a better defensive player than mickey is at least in terms of reacting to things of that nature and i i my expectation with the warriors is that they're going to give all of those guys the option to come back for the allowable salary that will not require an exception that they would just say hey if javel if you want to come back for that we're happy to have you same to david west same to zaza and then if they want some of the mid-level whether it's the room or the taxpayer then you start to get into a different conversation but this ties in with a challenge that the warriors have that is very very different from last year which is so weird considering how much less money is out there but there aren't really that many people that you look at on the potential center market who scream i might take a pay cut to play for a good team because a lot of players this year taj gibson patrick patterson are two of the big ones have not gotten those big paydays and justifiably are going to be looking for that this year as opposed to taking one year or four million or whatever to play with the warriors and the other issue too is with that taxpayer mid-level i mean if they let's say they were to bring back just kevin durant at that 31 million steph curry now 35.3 iguodala he's going to start at 20 million maybe you could get him a little lower that well let's call it 17 million to start be we'll we'll be conservative here now they're already 25 million dollars over the cap that's with none of their other free agents uh, other than iguodala curry and durant and they're already at 5 million over the tax so you're already paying 7.5 million in tax so now let's say you add a six million dollar contract for sean livingston now you're 10 million over the tax you're paying 17 million in tax so that 6 million is basically going to cost you another 16 million in actual cash now you bring back zaza at the 3.4 million okay now you're at 13 million over the tax 23 million in tax paid uh west mac you basically you're now paying almost three extra dollars for every dollar that you're spending and and the lake ups while they are going to get some of this money early from early sweet payments for the stadium they still are actually paying to build this stadium privately and they've been making a lot of money i think they would be very foolish to not do everything they can to compete we'll see some tax avoidance moves probably down at the end of the year and they won't they don't have any bad contracts on the books right now really so that could be a reason why we see livingston let go and they just try to give that role to mccall uh, if uh, Sean is not willing to take a discount or, you know, he gets a an offer in the high one figure up to maybe, you know, $10 million. So uh, that's, and then it only, the issues only get worse as everyone gets raises in succeeding years. And then Thompson will really get bumped up after uh, the, in the 2019 off season. So I think they, they drafted Damian Jones. They drafted McCaw. I think they're going to just try, I mean, if JaVale is back, that would really surprise me unless he just is willing to take the minimum again. Uh, McAdoo maybe same thing he's another guy who they have actually full bird rights on but he has a minimum cap 
Apple. Maybe uh, the McAdoo nightmare will probably be over. By the way, Kerr said on Zach Lowe's podcast today that he was, before the foul trouble happened, he was actually planning on playing McAdoo in the first quarter. Uh, so everyone can thank the, the foul trouble for KD for uh, preventing that from happening. Uh, you you would have yeah. had to clean. You would have had to clean up my skull fragments from from our seats up and up at the top of Oracle. Yeah, and they got down early, of course, as well. But anyway, so well, okay, so yeah. so well, as we get into this, I, I I've been looking through the list, you know, for various projects of of centers and big men more broadly, and trying to figure out if if the Warriors want to use all or a significant portion of their mid level on one of these guys, who would be a cogent fit? And there are some where you're saying they're going, oh, you know, maybe if they want it, like Nene is a good example of that. Like, yeah, if Nene wants to take that money, by all means. I don't I don't know that he will. That doesn't make much sense. But once you start getting past a couple of guys, it gets really, really narrow. Yeah. Uh, and again, they're not going to want to... Sp- I mean, number one, if I were them, I would be spending... If I'm going to use the full taxpayer mid-level, I'm spending that on a wing. Um, and I think, you know, someone along the lines of like a Jeff Green, Omri Caspi, Tabo Cephalosha, they could use part of that. And, and also they're going to need... If they buy a pick, they'll probably want to give a three-year contract to whatever rookie they get. So they'll have to use part of their taxpayer mid-level for that too. They have no draft picks this year, but uh, rumors are already circulating that they're trying to buy one, which would be, of course... A, a good investment maybe even like nick young or aaron aflalo actually could kind of duplicate sean livingston's post game a little bit uh wouldn't be as good defensively but those are some of the guys that that you could maybe just see all right we need one more body here on the wing um but you know i don't know what amir johnson's market is going to be he seems like the kind of guy who maybe they could use as a starting center if, if zaza moves on uh lavoy allen would be someone maybe could give them some minutes at center if uh indiana declines his four million dollar team option uh but i don't know what johnson's market is going to be but I, I do think just we've seen such a glut of centers lately that if i'm that i'm not worried if you start the season without like a ton of great center options because if you're really desperate you could always just trade for one there's always guys on the buyout market later like there are just so many centers that they can get to get who can just like they can get by with uh that i'm not that worried about it the buyout market is a great point because centers due to the glut of them that exist around the league there will always be centers on bad teams because there are centers on every team and and so at that point those guys are going to be looking more at the minimum or minimum plus and so i think the warriors would be a an intriguing place for that i'm not saying he's worth the mid-level or anything like that but i could see them taking especially if javel leaves i could see them taking like another flyer one of those kind of like roster camp guys but they have a, a real chance of making the team and the guy that i thought of for that is jeff withy withy is probably better than that but i could see him taking yeah. the option if if the market especially if the 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 stuff related to uh his off-court troubles if that ends up affecting his market then maybe you take a one-year deal with the warriors and try to build your value that way yeah, uh, although I do think they want to have at least one guy who's like a brawler, big body type, you know, maybe just to give a few minutes against Tristan Thompson in the finals, just save the wear and tear on everybody from trying to box out during the regular season or defend in the post against like big, you know, against like DeMarcus Cousins or something for most of the game before they put Draymond on in the end. I mean, after they've won this championship, you know, it's going to be cruise control mode in the regular season. And so I think they just, they're going to want to, and I think it's the same thing at point guard as well. They're just going to want to have bodies who can just kind of you know be out there and probably not be that good but just like take up some of the physical pounding i think they're going to be very focused on that next year and that's why i think their number one option should be a wing because you want to save andre guatala's legs especially for the playoffs 
Somebody we haven't mentioned at all, mostly because I think both of us don't expect the Warriors to resign him is Ian Clark. Clark has, they have early bird rights on him. He made the minimum last year. He is an unrestricted guy. The reason I think he's going to be gone is just because he's unnecessary with this team and somebody's probably going to give him money. And so, you know, I'm sure the Warriors would love to have him back for the minimum again, but that's just not going to happen. So somebody else will pay him and they'll like, like they did with Jared Jack, they'll just say, best wishes. Thanks for your contribution. Yeah, that that seems likely to me. Uh, And the one that, that I'm actually most interested to see what happens with is david west and zaza are, are they just going to be happy coming back for the same as last year or are they going to feel like no we need to raise I mean, you have to imagine that west as happy as he was I mean, now they know that there is that taxpayer mid-level available to pay them a little bit more. Uh, But if they're happy just coming back for the same thing they made this year, then uh, you have to imagine that. And I think, you know, that seems like a reasonable proposition to me. I mean, they they were thinking, hey, I'd really like to come here to play for a great team for one year. Like, why would that thinking change that much after they've won one championship? Well, And while I don't think this is going to be persuasive to David West in particular, just because he's on a minimum contract, signing players like him and JaVale to minimum contracts is even more valuable for the Warriors because of the part that the league pays and the way that they count on the salary cap. So if they can sign West or these players to minimum deals, then you shed off that difference between them and the second year salary. And that saves the Warriors some meaningful money. Yeah. And also if they keep those guys on the team for one more year, then they could have early bird rights next year and maybe pay them a little bit more. Though again, just the issue of the straight hard cash comes into play, but they would have the resources available to do that. Uh, I also think that they should try to take a look at some younger reclamation project types I th- especially just give them another hint at young legs i mean who thought that ian clark could actually be a contributor on this team and i think guys who have some tools and are specialists could end up contributing to this team in a way that maybe they can't on other teams especially during the regular season reggie bullock was someone who who came to mind there as just a, a body who you know maybe he could give them the same thing that like brandon rush gave them a couple of years ago yeah that's a good call maybe hollis thompson somebody that you and i have both liked a little bit more than than maybe the market at large. I, I've already wrote a piece advocating yeah. during the season for Omri Caspi to go there for them to sign Omri Caspi. That didn't happen. They kept Matt Barnes. I think that worked out reasonably well. So he he's not a young reclamation project in that way. And if Trey Burke ends up getting a really tepid market and Ian Clark, oh, leaves, that's an interesting one. Yeah, that wouldn't be the worst the worst situation in the world for him to do a one year one year thing and then get the Ian Clark role. Do try to do well in it and then go somewhere else. I will say that, especially with the, what their tax situation is looking like going forward, they really need to spend these end of the bench slots on guys who have a little bit of upside that just you know are young and can contribute. Whether it's guys out of the D League, who again they've gotten pretty good contributions out of those guys. Whether it's guys who are pretty young who just can grow into role, and also I mean even just when you're in the tax, being able to sign somebody to the rookie minimum is just like saves you money, you know. Uh, because the rookie minimum is almost half of what even the second year uh, minimum is. So you can save save money there as well. So you would think that that's why they're going to be so interested in buying a, a second round pick. What do you think of Kavan Lunio? Do you think they exercise his fourth year option? I could see them just declining it at this point. I could see them declining it. I could also see them, depending on what his medical status is, I could see them moving him to a team at some point before training camp and basically giving them the decision and going that way because I didn't I didn't necessarily like the way that I think it was the Clippers did this with Wilcox where they declined his option and then traded him I think you should try to trade him a little bit earlier and see if the other team maybe they really like him and that provides some surplus value yeah Looney has been 
missing you know inactive during these playoffs listed as like out with a hip injury but that might be you know he would have been inactive anyway and they're just saying he's got some sort of sort i mean he's definitely been like working out before games still so i'm not sure how real that injury actually is but obviously a concern for any kind of hip soreness with the fact that he's had both hips surgically repaired and it seems like he just has not fit into their culture quite that well and has not been really doing what needs to be done to improve his body um so and and he's got to get more athletic and stronger if he's really going to be a player i mean he definitely has some skills he's a passer can block some shots uh, three-point shot you know maybe it'll come along maybe it won't uh and he gave them some like semi-okay minutes at times very early in the year but i think at this point you know even that roster slot if they are comfortable that he is just not really really going to contribute you might as well do exactly what you said and see if you can just trade him to somebody for nothing another thing to watch you alluded to it before is what the warriors money can get in the draft because you know they got all the way up to draft patrick mccall that was at 36 i believe what 37 37 37. and so it's possible that that buys them less this year even though the the minimums going up and everything you could say in a certain way that makes those less valuable than they were before but you know i'm sure teams oh no i'm he was 38 sorry 38 okay <laughs> yeah brogdon, brogdon was 37, was 37. Yeah, okay my bad. and so i think it'll be it'll be fascinating to see on draft night where their money goes and whether because people always say oh i would never take the warriors money for a pick or anything like that it's like you know if you don't have somebody you like you're not going to decline the most money just because it's the warriors 26 teams don't care who gives them the money they just care that they get it and so i'm gonna i'm gonna keep an eye on that because that will affect who is available and they're looking for something a little bit different because they they're not not looking for a stash guy they're looking for somebody who will be on their roster next year yeah i think so and also it's going to be easier to buy picks now because you can send up to five million dollars instead of three million uh that limit has increased quite a bit so i think certainly at the end of the second round if they offer that full five million which they probably won't even have to and like the k felder pick last year number 54 i think got bought for like 1.4 million i want to say something like that um which was a lot compared to what it used to be i think like the jordan clarkson pick got bought for something even you know under a million bucks that was like the 40 i want to say the 46 pick in like 2014 so it's uh we're getting into the weeds here i think we can pretty much wrap it up i don't see andrew bogut coming back i i would say i mean unless he just took the dead minimum uh but even that i think they're just they probably wouldn't want to deal with him anymore i don't think i even need to clarify that david lee probably isn't coming back either <laughs> Yes. And Anderson uh, Vergeau probably is not coming back either, even though if Steve Kerr listens to our podcast, he might shed a little tear for that. All right. Anything else that we need to talk about here before we get going? No, I think that's about it. Uh, I, I'll be interested to see whether they can really go that kind of young reclamation project route. Another guy, I'll just mention this quickly, is KJ McDaniels, depending on what happens with Brooklyn. He's limited, but they might be able to use those limitations to their advantage if basically Brooklyn just says we're done with this guy and they let him loose. You know, I thought of him and, you know, because he has that team option but if they decline the team option he'll be a restricted free agent unless brooklyn just says hey we're not even gonna give him a qualifying offer to make him right. a restricted free agent uh which i don't i think they he showed a little bit at the end of the year so i, I think they, they wouldn't do that so i I've, it seems unlikely and then if he is a restricted free agent you know they're not going to wait around for see what happens with part of their taxpayer mid-level uh 
and they're not going to pay KJ McDaniels like five million bucks that the Nets wouldn't match anyway. So it's it's uh, it seems relatively uh, unlikely, but that is the type of guy I think that they would be looking at someone with some athleticism who they can hopefully just grow into another guy who can do something for you on the wing. Oh, okay. I want to end this with something. Uh, so you talked about wings. Who like among realistic, vaguely realistic options? Like who would be the most impressive, or if you were running another team, the most daunting guy who you think could realistically take the Warriors taxpayer MLE. I think Caspi would probably be the guy just because he can play some four as well and space the floor extremely effectively. By the way, maybe they'll bring back Matt Barnes too. That wouldn't shock me just to, on a minimum contract. He's getting paid already next year uh, from the Kings. Uh, yeah, Caspi would probably be it just as a guy who doesn't suck defensively and can make a three. That would be the guy that would kind of add to the embarrassment of riches. Nobody else really uh, on that list is particularly daunting. I think Tabo would be fast, would be compelling and th- threatening to other people just as a guy who can take minutes during the year. Yeah, he's just so bad offensively at this point. But yeah, as someone who could just credibly steal a few minutes on Kawhi Leonard or LeBron James in the playoffs for, you know, five, six, seven minutes. I mean, there really are just so few players, especially on LeBron, who you can put on him and be like, all right, we actually trust this guy to even like slow him down enough that we can bring some help. Uh, and, and Tabo is one of those guys. So yeah, that would be another one. What about him, uh, Bob I don't see them picking him just because he's such a bad shooter where he, he's just like a level beyond even where Cephalosha is. Um, that's that's fair but i mean you know if he wants to come there for the minute but i think his market actually might be beyond their capabilities i think caspi and cephalosha their markets could be beyond the warriors also unless of course they want to just come there uh to do some ring chasing all right i think that'll do it for today thanks so much for listening and we'll be back uh, very shortly we've got a big week coming up next week mike schmitz we'll hope to have him on uh, to preview the nba draft we've got the draft next year also got a couple more scouting reports to get to and by the way way we apologize a couple of people tweeted at me it's actually nilakina not tilakina the t is silent uh not the n so Damn sorry people. about that frank yeah you should have really helped me out there as a I, I, I hadn't frank heard speaker. him i hadn't heard him say it um i i actually i went back to there's a pronunciation guide i, I somebody had sent me i think arturo galetti sent this to me of all the players saying their own names and i went back and i heard it and i was like ah but yeah i, I can tweet that out if people would be interested in it uh, well uh this person would be interested in it so yeah, yeah. <laughs> That would be great. All right. uh, Catch you all next time. Thanks for listening. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.